This week on Thinking Biblically, we look at how being driven isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's really all about what's driving you. Welcome to Thinking Biblically. My name is Alan Gilman. Thinking Biblically is a podcast dedicated to exploring how all of Scripture speaks to all of life. I'm currently in Camrose, Alberta, but an hour outside of Edmonton at the Canadian Lutheran Bible Institute, CLBI, where I'm teaching a five-day course on the Minor Prophets. Uh, last, last week, I was uh, in Cochrane, Alberta, which is about 45 minutes outside of Calgary, and uh, I'm going to be featuring one of my talks that I gave while I was there. It was for Ash Wednesday, but it's a talk that can be given any time as we look into what it means to be driven. be very happy to hear what you think about this. Please be sure to subscribe, to share and review. Uh, you could put comments in the comment section. You can always email me at comments at thinkingbiblically.org. So... We're going to pick this up after I read uh, the reading from the first chapter of the book of Mark, and we get right into the message. So there's something special in how Mark describes Jesus being led into the wilderness. This story is told in one form or another in, uh, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and, uh, and Luke, but it's only in Mark where we read that the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. I, I remember hearing uh, of a little story of a Sunday school class where uh, they were, the children were making pictures of what they were learning, and uh, the teacher saw one of the ch- children had made a drawing of a car, a man in the front seat, and a man and a woman in the back seat. And the teacher asked, what is that? And the child said, this is God driving Adam and Eve out of the garden. <laughs> well, that's not this kind of, that was not that kind of driving, and that's not this kind of driving. Now, when we read in Matthew, there's a different word, different Greek word that means to be led. He was led into the wilderness, and the Luke version is similar. Um, but like being driven somewhere in a car, you know, when, you, when somebody gives you a lift, that's, that's a, a very passive uh, posture that we're taking, and, and usually, unless it's the back of a police car, the person is taking us where we want to go. This idea of being driven in Mark, as well as being led in the other Gospels, is not, is not exactly that. The, the term where it says in Mark to drive, to drive him, ek balo in Greek, is the same word used to cast out demons. It's to be thrown or to be cast out. Jesus was cast out into the wilderness. So this idea here is of of an exterior force taking somebody somewhere. This is a lot stronger. You know, Israel was led by a pillar of cloud and fire as God led them through the wilderness. It was wise to continue to follow follow that. But this is a lot stronger. This is a, a, a strong force, in a sense, pushing Jesus in a certain direction. You know, when we talk about being led by the Lord, if, if any of us uses that kind of terminology, it seems to me that when we talk that way, we mean this in a much softer sense of 
almost agreement of wills, meaning God appears to be indicating a particular direction. And after I figured this out and agreed with it, then I decide to take steps in keeping with the leading. But that's not what's going on here with Jesus being led or taken or cast out into the wilderness. In this case, the Spirit of God is imposing his will upon him with the result of compelling him into the wilderness. Now, you might think it's strange to talk about the Spirit compelling Jesus to do something, almost like it was against his will. I don't believe it was against his will. But that idea that he would be pushed in a particular direction, that, a, that it, the force of the Holy Spirit would come upon him to direct him a certain way, doesn't normally fit with the way we think about Jesus. We, we think of him following the Father wherever the Father leads. That sort of thing, because he's Jesus, right? Well, that idea um, comes from what I believe is our problem with truly reckoning with his humanity. Philippians teaches us that he emptied himself, that he emptied himself. When Jesus walked the earth, he lived fully as a man. He never gave up his identity, but he gave up his prerogative, his powers, and everything that goes with being divine. He, that was emptied from him, and he lived as a true human being. It's not surprising to me that one of the earliest church heresies was that not that uh, wasn't that Jesus wasn't God, but that Jesus wasn't really a man. He was kind of like a man, sort of thing. And it seems to me we still tend to think that way. We, I wonder if we ever thought that maybe when it was he was learning to walk. As a toddler, maybe he fell down a few times and he didn't all of a sudden, it's, it's time to walk and he just kind of hops up and off he goes and that sort of thing. And other things that babies do that I won't describe from up here, we tend to think, no, no, well, we sing that he didn't even cry when he's woken up when, when he was in, in, the, in the manger, right? So we have a view of his humanity which isn't really human. It's actually, we put a layer of divinity on him, which is actually really inappropriate because I believe biblically it's not true. That should make it inappropriate enough. But also, it cuts us off from really knowing him. We can't know who he is as the son of God unless we actually know him as the true man that he became in order to rescue us. One of the reasons for that is because God determined when he made his creation in the first place, who did he put in charge? Human beings. And God's committed to his creation plan. So when human beings failed in the mission that God gave us to, God appointed a man, his own son, to do what we could not do for ourselves, but not so that we could just cheer him on. Yay, Jesus, thank you for doing everything that I couldn't do. Keep it up, Jesus, and we'll watch in the stands. <laughs> Jesus came and did what he did so that we could join him in his mission. If we don't understand that he became just like us, we will never become just like him. And so his experience of being driven into the wilderness by the Spirit is a drivenness that we, I actually think, we experience 
far more than we think we do. That the Holy Spirit is seeking to direct us in certain directions, and sometimes we need a lot more of a push than maybe we'd like to admit. So this idea of of this driving force upon uh, Jesus, it's not that he was unwilling, you know, it wasn't, I don't want to go, don't make me go, I don't want to go, like maybe sometimes with the dentist, we might feel, some of you know exactly what I mean, uh, but all those things that we don't really want to, it's not that, it's, it's, it's far more, it's similar to what the prophets went through. I mentioned the reason why I'm in Alberta is because I'm going to be teaching on the minor prophets, um, and that cast me into a greater immersion into Uh, the prophetic writings for the past little while. And one of the the things that happens to the prophets is they would receive, depending on translation, might say an oracle, it might say a burden. The word has to do with heaviness. A heaviness would come upon these men and somehow they would discern what God's spirit was. We talk about something being laid on our hearts. I didn't think of that until just now. That's pretty heavy, man. Oh, the Lord laid this. God's going to lay something. Do you think that's going to be light? When the Lord lays something on it, does that make us giggle? No, that's heavy. And the, often the prophetic oracles came upon them in a heaviness, and it compelled them to investigate what God was revealing to them, and it compelled them to proclaim what God was revealing to them. And they became an ex- a reflection of God himself. Through the ministry of the prophets, the people of Israel were exposed to a reflection of God. Because actually, God feels this heaviness. God cares so deeply about us, about his purposes in this world, that, well, look what he did. He sent his only son to to rescue us. And so the prophets would receive this this kind of this type of leading, and this is what Jesus was experiencing. And it seems to me that many of us go th- experience the drive, the burden, the pressure of the Holy Spirit, and often we don't know that that is what's happening. Just because God's involved in our lives doesn't mean we necessarily get it. God might be doing things in our hearts and wants to do in our lives that we may not properly discern. That's why there's all these books you can buy on how to follow God's leading and how to discern his will and and, and all the rest of it. I don't know how many of those books really help unless these books are driving us to the Lord himself that he would help us discern what he's trying to do in and through us. A lot of people talk about peace as the greatest directive um, device in their lives. They, they're talking to you, or maybe you did the talking, about something that the other person doesn't think is so good, and they say, oh, but I have peace. Or they're trying to make a decision And they decide it's the right decision. Why? Because they have peace. Well, 
That's not my testimony. And it seems to me that when God, we read the Corinthians passage and all the things Paul went through, um, all the persecutions, disaster, he had shipwrecks. Oh, but I have peace. I just float through life. That's how I know that God is leading me. Have you read the Bible? Really? Have we read the Bible? Have we seen the, the examples of godly people and their experiences of God? I remember somebody uh, once uh, saying in, in a talk about people coming to him and they say, I met the Lord, I met the Lord. And he says, well, where's the tire marks? Because when you meet God, it's like being hit by a truck. This idea of just kind of this, and, and God ministers peace to us and, and God can soothe our, our struggling hearts, absolutely. But when God wants something to be done, First of all, we know from his word, he has a hard time finding anybody who's willing. And then that process of, of grappling with God's calling and direction in our lives, that can be really, really hard. And so then we have to be careful how we deal with, deal with that so that we properly discern what God is calling us to. Because just like the peace thing, there, there's, the, there's this one. Oh, I know God wanted me to say something because my heart started beating really rapidly. And what we do, and, and that could be true, um, but what we do is we look for these little indications to tell us what God wants us to do because we don't want to spend the time truly seeking him to discern his will, and we really need to. God, it's not like God is holding back his wisdom from us. When we find ourselves in difficult situations or when we sense a heaviness in our hearts or whatever it might be, we know something's going on. We read it in James, a familiar uh, passage in James chapter 1, starting at verse 5. James writes, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So first of all, if we want wisdom, you've got to ask. You've got to ask. I don't know how many times I've been in situations where I'm, I'm flustered, I'm worried, I'm struggling, and I'm wondering, and oh God, go God, but have I actually prayed? How I actually asked him for his help and the amount of times where I have and he's come through, I can't number. First of all, we need to ask. Well, God, can't you just tell us? We need to ask. Why do we need to ask? Because it says so. We need to ask. And then he gives generously. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't want to play games with us. He's not hiding uh, uh, somewhere. But then we worry if you're like me, we worry about this double-minded thing here. I don't want to be double-minded because the double-minded man doesn't get anything. And so what does it mean to be double-minded? Because it also talks about faith. So it's like, do I believe? Do I not believe? I believe, I believe, I believe. But I don't believe. I'm doubting. I'm worried. I don't know. I'm double-minded. I'm not going to get an answer. <laughs> I actually think it's much, much more simple than that. Double-minded is has to do with asking, but not really wanting an answer. I, I worked, one of the many things I've done in, in my work life is I worked in a, in a computer school. It was like a, a computer, it was like a lab and people worked at their own pace. And uh, there's also job search training as part of the program and students were allowed to come back to redo their resume. Not everybody had computers back then. And they come and, and use the nice laser printer. And, um, and anyway, so this one uh, person, 
uh, came and I was by by the printer and she wanted her her resume uh, printed and so I printed it and then she handed it to me and she said, can you take a look at it and see if it's okay? So, okay, sure. I read over, it was so pretty, it was elegant, and, but it was for an office administration job. And I thought like this is more appropriate for some sort of creative sort of artsy kind of place. So I said, I, that's what I said to her. I think this would be more appropriate, you know, I, it should be a little more serious. So she grabbed it for me and said, well, that's what you think. <laughs> uh, yeah, you asked me. <laughs> Double-minded. If we want answers from God, we need to decide before we ask that we will do whatever he says. So then the question is, what's driving you? Everybody's driven. There's a few people, I, I, I've met them, I don't know if I totally believe them, but they claim to be, that they just kind of float through life. Those, those people, they don't seem to be driven at all. I've met some of them and then find out of all the anger that they stuffed in their hearts. That's another story. I won't go there. Most of us are driven. It may not feel like drivenness, but a lot of us, the assumptions we make from when we get up in the morning to we go to bed at night, we live in these boxes of assumptions. This is the way we're supposed to live and don't, and don't, don't bother me. I'm not leaving my box. That's a form of drivenness. But then, of course, there's addictions and desire for success, reputation. Um, our, our church structures, um, have they become more important than God's very word and God's spirit? Are we willing to hear God? You know, one of the things about being in an evangelical tradition is we're in big trouble. Those of us that are part of churches that say that the 66 books of the scriptures are the only authority for faith and practice, may I use a highly theological term? Give me a break. Really now, and I speak for myself as well, do we really, every day we get up and our church, oh yeah, our churches, is that what we do? Is, 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 it, is that in the Bible? Is that what God says? Is that what God says in his word? Or that's what we've always done here. And, this, and you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can't do other thing because somebody's going to say and someone's going to get in trouble. And how many pastors are afraid of losing their jobs because they're convicted by God's word, but they're not preaching God's word? It's not. It's all of us. It's all of us. And I'll tell you, you think the past three years have been tough? That's nothing to what we're facing ahead. And um, I'm from Ottawa. I, I'm aware of the political stuff. I've had kids working as political staffers and all the rest. There's a place for God's people in the political realm, but it's not gonna be the political realm. Also, there's nothing that we can do. There's no program or formula that's gonna keep us from the, the, the difficulties that God says in his word his people are always supposed to experience anyway. We're only gonna be able to do this if we truly know the Lord, we truly know his word, and he is the one who is driving us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have not left us to ourselves, but that you have gone out of your way, not only to rescue us through your Son, but by urging us and poking us and speaking to us and leading us and driving us by your Spirit. Father, if there are people here tonight who are experiencing a heaviness, a sense of compelling unto something 
good, struggling, heavy, verge of tears. And if that's you, Lord, I pray that you would make it clear that your people would hear your voice, that we would know you like never before. May your blessing be upon this congregation and all the congregations represented here and in the region, Lord. May you bring a fresh um, outpouring of your Holy Spirit to this part of this great country. And may people tell stories because of what happens here. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do you think? Have you ever had an experience where you have felt the forces of the Spirit come down on you? Maybe you misinterpreted it. Do you have a story that fits in with this message that I just shared with you? I'd love to hear about it. If it's not appropriate to put in the comments, you can email it to me at comments at thinkingbiblically.org. You can send your other comments and questions to that email address as well. Don't forget to subscribe and do all those other good things to help get this podcast to many people. So until next time, this is Alan Gilman with Thinking Biblically.